Now let me invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 3. We continue our series, Come and See. We're, con- well, maybe concluding this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus has came to see who Jesus is. And we've been looking at this conversation uh, for a couple weeks now, and we'll get to maybe, maybe the most famous verse of all of Scripture. Uh, and I think it is the most famous verse. And I would venture a guess that if I asked you to say it, you could say it, right? That, that's true. <laughs> uh, let's say it in John 3.16 together. For... Good. See, I listen because I can pick up on who memorized it in the King James and who memorized it in the NIV, right? But that's okay because I'm going to read the CSB, which you'll find uh, to be a little bit different. But before we get there, I've got to ask this question for us to think about. How do you know someone loves you? How do you know someone loves you? I love when the Lord gives me a sermon illustration the day of the sermon, okay? So this morning... The men were cooking. I wanted a little food. But I was already in Sunday school. And I asked my daughter to go get it for me. I said, if you love me, you'll go get me something. (laughs) Next thing I know, she's looking for her mother. (laughs) To try to get her out of going to get me food. And so I find, and I go in there, and I say, I'd really like like a piece of bacon. So I went and got a piece of bacon. (laughs) But see, I messed up. Because what I was reminded of is I didn't offer to bring Jennifer a piece of bacon (laughs) or a sandwich, a sandwich or ham and Amanda. So I did not do a good job demonstrating my love for my wife or a member of the congregation. See, so, I mean, that begs the question, how do you know somebody loves you? I mean, I could tell her all day. I love her till I'm blue in the face. In fact, in middle school, (laughs) don't you love middle school stories? I had a girlfriend, shocking, uh, and we would say that. It's, oh, I love you, I love you. You know how these middle schoolers are. Yeah, I love you, I love you too. That's all you talk about. You know, spend an hour on the phone, all you say is I love you. Here's the thing, I never saw her. We didn't have the same classes, never talked to each other except rarely on the phone. So did we really love each other? Nah, we didn't because we never cultivated that relationship. I never, I forgot Valentine's Day and Christmas. I mean, when you don't see, that was a girlfriend in middle school. I've never forgotten that with her. Okay. It's different. So, I mean, think about it. How do you know someone loves you? Is it that little whisper in your ear? I love you, honey. Or is it the actions that demonstrate love? Now, saying I love you is very important. I tell my kids I love them. I tell my wife I love them. Uh, I love my congregation. But it's the actions of love that really show how much we love something. Uh, it is a commitment of mine to do laundry every Friday. So in our, how long we've been married? In our 15 years of marriage, it's been so amazing. I've lost track of time. I maybe have done laundry like 12 Fridays out of that time, but I still have that commitment. Now I've done it more. I do laundry about every Friday. I clean the floors. Most of the time, I bring her the sandwich. All right? I cook for her almost every single night. 
That's how I demonstrate my love. And on turn, she has many ways that she shows me she loves me. One, correcting me when I mess up. That, that, that is her demonstration of love. But I, I feel the love. Because if behind every pastor, a good pastor, there is an exceptional wife. Right? And so she demonstrates her love. How do we, you know, uh, my dad taught me how to demonstrate my love for him. He would call me, he would be in his recliner. This is kind of what I was doing this morning. So I learned well from my father, kind of. He would call me in, he would give me a hug. He would say, I love you, son. I love you too, dad. He goes, do you really love me? I said, yeah, dad, I love you. He goes, go get me a glass of water. And I did, because I wanted to demonstrate, you didn't love me this morning. (laughs) We're talking about love this morning. And many of us have heard the phrase, or maybe you've heard the phrase, God loves you. And as we look at the text, I certainly want you to take that away. I want you to leave here today knowing that God loves you. But I don't want you to just hear the words. I want us to see the actions. I want us to see what God has done to demonstrate His love for us. And so I'll start reading. I'm actually going to start in verse 314 and kind of read through the end of this section. I think only 16 will be on the screen when we start, but I do want to start in verse 14 to remind you of what we talked about last week. The word of the Lord says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that the deeds may not be so his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. It is one of the most powerful sections of all the Bible. Because not only does it tell us that God loves us, it shows us how God loves us. The first thing I want us to see today is the reality of God's love. The reality of God's love. Now, you may have noticed that the Christian Standard Bible translates that verse different than I memorized it and many others memorized it. Uh, But there's a reason for that. Uh, For us, we said, for God so loved the world. Again, John, the writer, often uses words that have dual meanings to communicate two thoughts that are just coherent with each other. And so, yes, he says, God so loved the world. And when we think about that, we're like, God loved us so much, right? You know, I, I walk around, and I say, you know, I, guys, my, my family say, I love you so much. It's an intensifying of the word. 
But that word uh, so that he uses also is an action word. It, it means that God demonstrates his love in this way. And so, you know, English translations do, for God so loved the world, the CSB says, for God loved the world in this way. Which one is right? Both. Both. Because God loved the world so much that he, show, he showed his love by sending his son to die on the cross. And it says, for God so loved the world. And I love that the reality of God's love is extended to every single person in the world. God's love is not just, listen to me, it's not just for the Jewish people. God's love is not just for the Gentile people. God's love is not just for white people. God's love is not just for black people. God's love is not just for uh, Christians. God's love is not just for a select group of elected people. God's love is extended to each and every person, male, female, young, old, black, white, American, non-American. Wherever you live, if you are a breathing, living human being, God's love is extended to you. God loves everyone. And that is such a remarkable thing, isn't it? I mean, think about it. It's remarkable that God loves everyone. Now, I don't know how many people have ever lived on this planet from the beginning of time. But it's got to be a lot, right? From the beginning of creation to now, the number of people who have lived and died and are living today. I mean, it's astronomical to me to think about the number of people living just today. God loves every single one of them. God loves every single person who has lived and passed. God loves every single person that's not yet born. That is a massive, remarkably thing that God can love Everybody, we have trouble loving one person sometimes. You know who I'm talking about. Person you go to school with, makes fun of you, bullies you. Eh, God loves him, her. That boss who treats you poorly, you're like, God doesn't love that guy. Yeah, he does. He may not love God back, God back, but God loves him. God loves everybody. But what is even more remarkable is God loves the world and we're bad. See, God loves the world, and it's so remarkable to me. Is why? What have we done to deserve that love? We are awful. I mean, not everybody. Obviously, there's good people in the world. But in the eyes of God, humanity is broken. It's always been something that I've held dear to my heart. When Adam and Eve sinned, when, when they took a bite of that fruit, God had the authority the power and the right to strike them dead and start all over. I mean, you know that. God could have said, well, you two, y'all messed up. Boom, gone. Here's a new man, here's a new woman. Maybe they'll get it right. But that's not what God did. God loved Adam and Eve so much, he made them close. I mean, they're in there with fig leaves and standing there hiding. He made them close. And then he tells him in Genesis 3.15 that he's already prepared a way to restore that relationship. That's how much God didn't destroy them. God, the reality of God's love is he doesn't want anybody destroyed. He doesn't want anybody condemned. He, his desire, God's deepest desire, his deepest love is that every single person in the world would experience restoration and salvation. For God so loved the world. For God loved the world in this way. 
Now, another thing that stands out is this is past tense. For God loved the world. He loved us while we were still sinners. Now, if you've been in church your whole life, you've probably heard that over and over again. But somebody probably needs to be reminded. Somebody needs to hear it. God loved you while you were a sinner. God still loves you that you are a sinner. Romans 5, 8, Paul says, God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then one of my favorite parables of all of Scripture comes out of Luke 15. I'm going to just read the whole parable to you. Jesus says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls all of his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not repent. That is one of the most powerful parables and it's in that group of parables with the prodigal son and the lost coin. But what I love about this one is as a human, as, a, as, as me and my flesh, I think this is crazy. Right? Why? Why would God leave a flock of 99 sheep to go after one? Why would he risk the 99 to go after the one? There's a great song. Uh, it's, it's called Reckless Love. And uh, it, it talks about this very verse. And it talk, the song itself uh, can be misunderstood, but what the song is talking about is that from my perspective, from my eyes, what God has shown us seems reckless to me. Why would God do that? But for God, it is absolutely perfect love. What I see as reckless, God sees as holy, perfect, righteous, and necessary. That's the reality of God's love. That he will chase after the one lost sheep. because that, And that's why he sent his son. God demonstrates his love. The reality of God's love is that he gave his one and only son. This is the intensity of the verse. Verse 17 says he sent his only son. This reminds us of God's sacrifice. God offered something very near and dear to himself. It's not like, um, I think we've all done this. You forgot a birthday party or you forgot a celebration of some sort that you were required to buy a gift. Anybody ever forgot that? So you start looking around and maybe you find a gift that you never opened that somebody gave you. And so you re-gift, right? We understand the re-gifting idea. We re-gifted it. It wasn't important to us. We may have said thank you. Now, you've got to be careful not to re-gift it to the person who gifted it. That gets you in trouble. Been there, okay? Done that. So you've got to be careful. But we understand this idea of re-gifting. But I want you to hear something. This gift that God's given us is not a re-gifting of anything. God didn't forget about us. God sent something that was absolutely unique to him, absolutely uh, absolutely precious to him, his only son. Now, I've got two children, but if I only had one, I mean, I'm not going to give any of my kids for any of you guys. I'm sorry, I love you, but not that much. But God does. But if I had one, 
If I had one child, I absolutely would never sacrifice that one child for anybody. And yet, for God so loved the world, he sacrificed his one and only son. That's the intensity of how much God loves you. That should absolutely bring tears to our face. My my mom always told me I never would understand how much she really loved me until I had children of my own. And I always kind of laughed it off. I was like, yeah, I know how much you love me, mom. And I'll never forget the first time I saw Larson. My mom was right. I cannot imagine how Jesus felt or how God felt when his son was hanging on that cross. We'll celebrate that Friday. This Good Friday. And yet God's love for you and me was so great and so intense. That's exactly what happened. And don't think for a moment God couldn't have taken him off that cross. God can pretty much do anything God wants. And yet his son hung there for a good portion of the day because of his love for us. This passage tells us why Jesus came. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. The reason Jesus came was to save. We didn't need somebody to show up and condemn us. The law had already done that. Jesus shows up to save us. I remember this woman who was caught in adultery. The Pharisees were ready to stone her. They're going to kill her on the spot. Jesus shows up, starts writing in the dirt. Now, we don't know what he wrote. I tend to think he's writing the names of those Pharisees, followed by every sin they've committed. And you say, why do you think that? Because what Jesus says next, let he who has no sin cast the first stone. And right there, again, we don't know, but I think Jesus laid out the sins of those Pharisees. And they all dropped their little stones, and they left. And Jesus looked at her conversation. So I don't condemn you. He forgave her of her sins. And he said, go sin no more. That's important. He said, go and sin no more. He didn't give her permission to continue sinning. He said, I have forgiven you. Go and sin no more. The last thing this world needs is people to look at him and say, you are going to hell. Most people know that. Even if they, deep down in their soul, we're condemned. We have that sense that something's not right, that we're broken. The world does not need Christians walking around pointing out every flaw, every time somebody messes up. Or The world doesn't need that. The world didn't need it in this day. What they need is to be pointed to a Savior who comes to forgive them of their sins. The world doesn't need our judgmental stares, our judgmental attitudes. The world needs the forgiveness of Jesus. Listen, the consequences of sin is hell. That's absolutely reality. We are born that way. And if we don't decide to follow Jesus, we will die and we will go to hell. But what the world needs more than anything else is to see the Savior. See the one who rescues them from that reality. Who rescues them from hell. Uh, When I was a teenager, I think I've told this story before, but it it really illustrates this. When I was a teenager, we we had an extreme ministry. We were in a cave. 
Uh, there's a lot of stories I have from being in the caves, but we were in this cave and we were walking along an edge, a ledge, very narrow, and off the side was a very steep slope. Uh, and if you would slide down the slope, then there was a cavern. And I'm just going to say, if you get into the cavern, you're not coming back up. It's deep. There's probably no way to rescue you. There's no way to get down there. So we're walking. And the young man in front of me, he's got his, he's kind of big like me. And for those of us who are bigger, we were having a hard time really navigating that really small ledge. His foot catches the edge of the ledge. He hits that slick part and he falls. Now, in that moment of him falling, did he need me to look at him and say, why didn't you watch where you were stepping? You could have prevented this if you would have... Did he need me to say that? What did he need? He needed me and the guy in front of him to reach down, grab him, and rescue him. That's what we did. That's what the world needs to know is the Savior. Who's there to grab them and lift them up. So that they would not perish. But have eternal life. That's the essence of John... 3.16 and John 3.17. It's the essence of John 3.14. Why does Jesus have to be lifted up on the cross? Because God loved the world so much that He put Him on the cross. That's how much God loves you. Arms outstretched. I think that's where we'll stop today. I want this to, I want the reality of God's love to really sink in to you this week as we prepare for the resurrection next week. And what I want you to note this week as we prepare for Jesus to be hanging on the cross and to remember that event, that on the cross it was the righteousness of God that was on display and it was the full wrath of God that was on display. You see, God's holiness and God's hatred for sin were seen in the severity of that punishment. Jesus took upon himself the punishment that we deserve, the punishment for our sins. Because God loved the world that much. Listen to me. You are not hanging on the cross because Jesus hung there in your place. You're not hanging on the cross, even though you deserve it. I deserve it. Paul deserved it. The disciples deserved it. We're not hanging on the cross because our sins nailed Jesus to it and he hung in our place because God loved the world so very much. So here's the question. Because this is the question I think we get from the text. Do you believe? See, Jesus, certainly the love of God is extended to the whole world, but the whole world does not accept Jesus. The whole world is not going to go to heaven. You have to believe in Jesus to have eternal life. You have to accept Him and surrender your life to Him. Have you done that? Have you experienced the new birth that Jesus has already introduced? Have you looked to Jesus on the cross like we talked about last week? Do you believe? And have you decided to follow during our time of invitation I want to invite you if you have never ever made that decision to follow the Lord to come and give your life to him surrender it to Jesus young old surrender your life experience that new birth 
Maybe you're here and you're ready to take those next steps and, and be baptized. I'll be standing down front. You just come on and you share with me what the Lord is putting on your heart. Maybe you're ready to join this church. During this invitation, I invite you, the invitation is to come, surrender your life to the Lord, follow Him into the waters of baptism, and join this church if you are led to do so. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the great, great love of Jesus. Your great love. We are grateful that You loved us enough not to destroy us, not to be against us, but You loved us enough to be for us. You loved us enough to send Your Son to die for us. Let that be on our hearts and minds all week as we prepare to celebrate Easter next Sunday. Father, anyone here who has never experienced that rebirth, Father, lead them to do so today. Convict them of their sins and lead them to respond to your forgiveness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that the Lord has spoke to your heart and has blessed you through this message. If you would like more information about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please reach out to us at one of the following locations. You can visit us online at chinagrovefbc.com slash salvation or check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash chinagrovefbc. Thank you and have a blessed rest of the day.